Welcome to Season 8 of Tell Me a Story I Don't Know, a fascinating journey into the lives of top sports personalities and their connections to Chicago. They reveal entertaining, memorable, and emotional stories many you've never heard before. I'm your host, George Hoffman, and please follow this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts, and through our partnership with Last Word on Sports Media Podcast. Tell Me a Story I Don't Know is proudly sponsored by Mr. Duct, Chicagoland's premier comprehensive air duct cleaning and ventilation for residential and commercial properties. Their motto is simple. They're upfront and honest. Find them on the web at mrductcleaning.com. This week, we featured a talented and very funny Chicago sports radio host, Jonathan Hood. Growing up in the 80s, what did we get? We had comedy from the 50s and 60s. It was still on. The reruns were still on. And I always thought that was fascinating, just a type of uh, comedy that would have timing. Right? You watch some of those uh, comedy shows and the timing of, of Johnny Carson, the timing of Bob Hope. This is why you and I could have a long conversation about Milton Berle if we wanted to, because I watched it just like you watched it. Jonathan Hood is one funny guy, but he's much more than a comic sidekick. Jay Hood's knowledge of the Chicago and national sports scene has earned him several awards and plenty of praise during his 30-plus year career. He's worked at both Chicago All Sports stations and currently does a morning talk show at ESPN 1000 with veteran David Kaplan. He's also done play-by-play of baseball and basketball. He's won the Harry Carey Award from the Pitch and Hit Club. And for a radio guy, Jay Hood was a TV junkie. So, Jonathan Hood, tell me a story I don't know. I grew up on a farm as a white lad <laughs> in Wilmette, Illinois. I remember it very well. It was me and my paw. And I was right in this room. says, son. And I said, paw? <laughs> no, that's not true at all. That's, that's another story, story right? isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> me as growing up as a little white kid? Yes, that is, would be a that'd, be, that'd be quite a story. That would be the cover story, George. <laughs> that's not right. That's not true at all. No, um, my story is a story of being able to just absorb what I would watch on television. And that is watching sports and watching sportscasters and watching the news. What a blessing to be around my grandparents. And that's really the reason why I'm here talking to you today because of their penchant to be able to watch everything and absorb everything and learn everything. And I learned from them. In other words, you were a TV rat. Oh, no question about it. I was, there was a it, it might have been a television in my bassinet. It could have been as a child. I mean, I was. I mean, uh, some people are in the TV, some people on the radio and music. I would love to be able to absorb what was on TV. You know, it's funny. Usually, George, the prerequisite to be able to um, be a sportscaster or be a sports talk guy is to know every line of every movie. You know, all the jock movies, all the guy, you know, the top 20 movies that sports radio talks about. I wasn't that guy. I was someone that enjoyed comedy, enjoyed sitcoms, uh, and enjoyed small screen. I could tell you, I can't give you all the quotes from The Godfather, but I can tell you lines from MASH. This man's got a chest wound. He ought to be in OR right now. He happens to be Chinese. Then we'll operate with chopsticks. Corman, get this guy inside. Now, don't you dare, and that's an order. I'm busy now, Frank. I'll take your order later. <laughs> or, or Mork and Mindy or something weird like that. That was just me. I loved the small screen as a kid. Well, what about what about news and sports? I mean, you were hooked on that as well. No question about it. So, you know, my um, my grandparents were uh, politically inclined, and the one thing that was always that always resonated with me is the newspaper. And 
you know, granddad would come in and set the newspaper down, the Tribune and the Sun-Times. And of course, immediately as a kid, I'd put the newspaper over to see what was, you know, what the Sox and A's did or what the Cubs did. And he'd say, well, wait a minute, what about the front of the paper? What's going on? What's going on in the news? And I would think that's not interesting. anything I'm interested in. I want to know what's going on in the, in the sports pages. And he'd say, no, it's very important to know what's going on. He said, what if you're on a train and someone says, hey, what's in front of the paper? What's that? What's the lead story? Well, you have to be able to tell someone. And I never thought of it that way, but they always told me, George, to be more well-rounded. Mm -hmm. And as much as I love sports and like you love sports and watching games, he said, you know what, see what's going on. And so from there, you know, in the mornings, WVON radio would be on, which is uh, all black talk station that's been around for generations. And mm -hmm. he turned on, and this is during the height of the Harold Washington administration when he was mayor. And of course, you know how just amazing that that news uh, city hall would be every day it'd be something the Berdoliak clan against the washington clan and back and forth and the fights in city hall for supremacy who's going to be able to win between the two sets of parties in the wards in chicago how dare you come in here you little pipsqueak how dare you come in here and i'm listening to this and i was just amazed by you know, the likes of Ty Wansley and, and uh, Stan West and so many others that would have talk shows talking about these things. And they would turn to me and ask, what do I think? And I would just give them my synopsis like, well, this is unfair or this is fair. But it was just them pretty much saying, George, yes, you can watch the Cubs game at 120. And yes, you can watch the Sox on Sports Vision. But it's good to be able to know more than one thing. And that's what prepared me to where I am this day. It's funny that you mentioned that because Council Wars for me was big on Channel 2. I was watching Walter Jacobson and Bill Curtis, and it was like, this is stuff you couldn't miss. I mean, you really seriously, yeah. if you were involved at all, you couldn't miss. It was like yes. its own entertainment TV. No, no question. And But it, it, in that way, even as a young person, I'm just learning that, wow, there's more than just baseball on TV or boxing. There's more things that's going on that... Uh, so you could be aware of it. Uh, and I just remember that so well, watching Walter Jacobson. We were a Channel 2 family, George. You see, when the TV would come on back in the day, as you well know, the first channel that would come on is 2. And uh, you weren't changing from Channel 2 because that's where Mom's soaps were. That's where Lee Phillips was. Uh, so mm -hmm. you, you weren't changing the channel. It's like, I don't know if I knew anything about Channel 5 or 7 or the other networks because it was always on 2 and stay on 2. So I was, it was this was a, a Bill Curtis, Walter Jacobson family. Channel 2, WBBM-TV, Chicago. Bill Curtis, Walter Jacobson, John Coughlin, and Howard Sudbury with Chicago's number one news. Channel 2, the 10 o'clock news. It's just all, all about just being more of just a sports person or just one, just being single-minded, learning so many different things about life, even at an early age. And it kind of, it kind of uh, centered me, I guess, as a kid. Well, you're a sports person today. You do a morning show with David Kaplan, a.k.a. Cap, Capman, mm -hmm. or whatever he's calling himself these days. <laughs> yeah. Whatever it is, it's working. <laughs> We're having fun. Uh, and I remember in August of 2020, the then program director, content manager, Mike Thomas said, 
hey, would you like to do mornings? And I thought it was just a complete rib. I'm thinking, why are you calling me to ask me, someone who's been doing evenings for so long at ESPN Radio Chicago, why it, to me to do mornings? I'm thinking, I'm going to hang up on this guy because he's wasting my time. He says, no, I'm serious. I want you to be uh, to team with David Kaplan to do a reimagined morning show from 7 to 10 a.m. And I was just surprised because I thought he was joking and it actually happened. But it's it's the timing of it, George, that surprised me. And that's because it's right in the height of the pandemic. Uh, one of the things that Mike said is, hey, people are going through a tough time. People are dying. There's COVID. Um, there's a lot of uncertainty in the world. But here you go. Here's a morning show. You got to make people smile. And I thought, OK, well, how do we do that during these times? Right. Not a lot of sports on definitely during the pandemic. And they threw us together. Uh, and it's worked. It's a good thing that I knew who Cap was before I started the show. It wasn't, he was not foreign to me because I've known Cap for 20 years, but to do a daily talk show with him is a different story. And uh, it's been very smooth. I've had a fun time working with Cap and we continue to, uh, to do some great things on the radio. I want to talk football and in particular the Bears because they remain the number one topic on sports radio here and now of course espn 1000 has the bears mm -hmm. it almost appears as if you're feeding the beast on a regular basis even during baseball season jay is that good for sports radio or not so good for sports radio i think it's good for sports radio in our city because nothing galvanizes a city like the chicago bears Sports Illustrated predicts that Justin Fields will finish the 2023 season with over 40 total touchdowns. Shot or no shot? That's a no shot. It's ridiculous. Hold on a minute. 40, 40 touchdowns, Cap? I'm looking up. I want to see what the scoring was last year. 40 touchdowns? That would be a playoff run for the Bears. And that is Cubs fans and Sox fans and Hawks fans and Bulls fans and Sky fans and everyone else come together to for one common cause, and that is the Chicago Bears. You think about it, with the Cubs and Sox, the city is divided. And uh, sure, it's a great rivalry, and it has been for a long time. However, I think that the Bears, especially with the electricity that Justin Fields brings to the Chicago Bears, I think it brings people together. Now, here, here's the thing about me, George. Because I'm a, a kid of the 80s, uh, baseball will always course through my veins. I'll always enjoy baseball. And so there's always going to be room to be able to talk about both teams. However, because you have Justin Fields and you have a city that's bereft of quality superstars, and you know what I mean by that, because you and I were in the 90s together at the score and not just talking about Jordan and the Jordanaires. We were talking about stars and Cubs, stars on the White Sox, stars mm -hmm. on the Blackhawks. And, and like every update you're giving, what you would do is you would give updates, not just on the teams, but the stars of those teams. Oh, there you, were lots you, of them. Well, you, would, could, well, you can't do that in 2023. No. What's, your, what's your update now? You want to talk, talk about the star power of Nico Horner? I mean, that, that's, hmm. not, that's not where we are today. And so I think that there's room for both. The Bears drive the bus, though, in this town, as you well know. But baseball's not, never, they're never going to take a, a back seat because it's compelling. The Ricketts era is compelling. And then what's happening with Jerry Reinsdorf, who really wants to win a championship, the Sox uh, story is compelling as well. No more Tony La Russa. I think it's very interesting to see in Reinsdorf's dotage what happens with this White Sox team. And so I think that there's room for both.
besides the the radio gigs that you have, you're a podcaster. You also call UIC basketball and baseball. You're a pretty busy guy. So what keeps you occupied when you're not doing sports? Um, what keeps me occupied is um, is my wife uh, of 23 years to be able to travel and have some fun there. Um, the one thing that I realize is that life is short. And as much as I love being able to do what I do, I don't feel like I'm working. I feel like I'm having fun being able to do what I love and what a dream is, is to be able to do a talk show, especially morning drive in Chicago. That was never, that was never the plan. I never thought I'd be doing morning drive, but here I am. And it's such a blessing to do so, um, to be able to have multiple platforms to do so many things is great, but I love traveling with my wife. Um, I love to be able to spend time with family. Um, you know, George, you, you know this, and I don't mind telling you, this will be the first time I'm telling you this, because we get so busy uh, in our careers and you're taking shifts and you've got, and a programmer tells you, I need you to do this, or I need you to cover this game, or I need you to travel here. There's a lot of things I miss. I've missed a lot in my career. Um, and I think that at this time, being with Good Karma Brands and being with ESPN, 1000 at this time i feel like i'm mending fences with family in which hey you, you can't travel with us here we can't go on this this uh you can't go to this birthday party you can't go on this uh, trip with us because i gotta work and this is the unpredictability of our business in which hey these games are taking place or uh, playoff games gonna take place and you gotta go cover it or you gotta do something on the air about it or you're doing sirius xm I feel like I'm, I'm able to control my uh, schedule a little bit better so I can spend more time with family. I read a story in which you once told your then fiance and now your wife that you had another love in your life and that was broadcasting. So how have both of these things worked out? Oh, the threesome's great, George. Oh, that's just unbelievable. <laughs> I don't know if you've ever had one, but it's outstanding. <laughs> But possibly, <laughs> possibly not that one, but we don't want to talk about that. <laughs> oh, oh, it's great. Boy, oh, boy. <laughs> oh, that, boy, that threesome, George. Let me tell you right now, they're broadcasting me and her. Boy, I tell you, what you are know, I once, I, Seriously, I once had a threesome. It was me, myself, and I. It was quite something. <laughs> clean, up on all, clean up on aisle five. But I, I, I just, uh, you know, it's, it, it is something. And, and here's the great thing about Michelle is, and that is that she's been part of the business for a long time too, in radio and now an executive at NBC Chicago. Um, she, I, I married someone that understood our crazy schedule. And when I say our, I'm talking about us as broadcasters, where again, it's unpredictable what you have to cover, going out of town, coming back, all that stuff. So I married uh, my soulmate and my best friend that understands schedule because her schedule could be upside down sometimes as well. And, but it's something that I told her way before we got married. I said, you know, there's another love in my life. And she said, I don't do that. I don't do threesomes. Uh, and I said, no, not that love. It's broadcasting. <laughs> and she completely understood that too. And she, you know, before she came along, especially those early days of the score, the women I would date, I mean, they would never understand you mean you to tell me on Saturday night you're working 10, 10 p.m. to two in the morning? It's like, yeah, we're eleven sixty. We need to be able to have some. I need some no, some airtime. You know, They're like you mean <laughs> to tell me you're not going out to party with me? Like, no, we're going to work. I gotta go to work. You mean to tell me on a Sunday afternoon you're producing George Hoffman? Like, yes, I am. Yes, I am because I. This is what I got to do. This is part of the business. And so I, re I, I remember that I usually yeah. didn't make those shows because I was out partying. 
<laughs> exactly. So, <laughs> so <laughs> when you find someone that understands the business, um, then they understand what you have to do. So that's, it's really fun that way. When's the last time you had your air ducts cleaned? Here's the best solution, Mr. Duct, a name Chicagoland has trusted for over 20 years. They work on your furnaces, air conditioners, and do repairs, maintenance, and installations. In other words, they're your all-around company for air quality choice and more. Mr. Duct provides on-site commercial ventilation cleaning estimates. You'd be hard-pressed to find better. So give them a call at 888-4-MR-DUCT. That's 888-467-3828. And Mr. Duct is the right choice to clean your residential dryer vents. They do a full inspection to make sure your dryers are running properly. Mr. Duct works with schools, health facilities, and office buildings to make sure you're breathing clean air. Their testimonials are endless, and with good reason. So don't think twice when you're ready to work on air ducts, dry vents, and so much more. Just think Mr. Duct. 888 for Mr. Duct. That's 888-467-3828. And find them on the web at mrductcleaning.com. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. You just mentioned the business, the weekend. This business is like no other business. It's about life. And we've all had to deal with deaths in our industry. There was Les Grobstein. And of course, Jeff Dickerson, the beloved football reporter and broadcaster who died of cancer some two and a half years after his wife also died of that dreaded disease. It's just an awful story. Mm-hmm. You had a very close relationship with JD. And I remember when the two of you worked together, and especially uh, on ESPN National Broadcast, you could make JD laugh so hard, it was worth listening to the show for that alone. Yeah, wait, you know, it's but the whole, the whole overarching point about this business is to have fun with it. You know, it's, yeah, it's great to be able to get paid. Yes, you're trying to figure out what's next. But while you're in it, you're supposed to have fun. And, And so with Jeff, I think that we had a lot of fun together. That whole story was while I was while working at ESPN 1000, an opportunity came up for me, George, to be able to do national radio. And a lot of people don't know, but I'll tell you that the whole point of me coming to ESPN 1000 in August of 2005 was to eventually go national. Um, I like the perspective of the national radio to be able to, to talk about Chicago sports, but also talk about everything. And I really want to have that challenge in my career because it's something I hadn't done before. And so to come to find out that uh, JD needed a, uh, a partner for a new show that they were going to have on Saturday nights, um, I was chosen to be his partner. We had already done shows on ESPN 1000 evenings from time to time. And they thought, well, let Jonathan Hood work with JD because they've worked together on the national, on the national scale. I get an opportunity to work with JD and right before the show, I'm completely nervous. I've been already in the business for a long time, taking the microphone. You have some tension, a little bit of nervous energy, but not condors in your stomach. That's what I had. 
because I'm thinking, oh my God, I'm with JD, but it's national. I got to talk about so many different things and I'm just pacing the hallways, something I normally don't do. And Eric Ostrowski, one of the producers is hanging around from ESPN 1000 said, hey, you know, you okay? I said, yeah, it's fine. I'm just, just trying to breathe because I'm going to be on national. He goes, you know what? You're going to be fine. I said, just like the shows you do with JD on ESPN 1000, you're going to be fine. And at that point, I felt at ease. I was working with my friend. That's the difference. Not just some guy, I worked with my friend. And we were able to do five solid years. And we're the second longest, uh, second longest tenured show on ESPN radio for about four years straight uh, after Mike and Mike, because we were on consistently on Saturdays and Sundays. It was so much fun. Um, you know, it's funny as we record this, funny and odd at the same time. Um, we are passing the anniversary of Kobe Bryant's death. Mm -hmm. And I remember um, that was on a Sunday afternoon. We were working a three to seven shift. Um, and we were going through our notes, like, okay, let's talk about the Cowboys here and LeBron there, and we'll find out some stuff here. We'll talk about Major League Baseball. We'll have the late Pedro Gomez, who was great, a great guest. He was a weekly guest with us. He passed away not too long ago. We love Pedro. Well, great baseball reporter or ESPN. We used to have him on. Okay. And so it's about four minutes before we go on the air. So it's uh, 2.56. And the producer at Bristol, Connecticut says, hey, hey, guys, hang on a second. We're getting news. We're getting news. Something's going on with Kobe Bryant. Just stand by. And we're thinking, oh, you know, Kobe, what's going on with Kobe? I mean, he's retired. He's with his uh, daughter, Gigi, and he's enjoying. Three minutes left. Guys, we hear there's a plane. There's a helicopter. Kobe was in a plane. The plane went down. The helicopter went down. Stand by. We're getting more information. I'm thinking, wait, the you know, hold on a second. Kobe Bryant is in a helicopter. What's going on? And JD and I are saying, okay, so what's the news? Guys, two minutes. Uh, the plane went down. Uh, Kobe Bryant and his whole family were in the helicopter. It went down. There's casual casualties. Stand by. Okay. So now we're panicking, like, okay, we're going online, see if there's any information. Guys, one minute, 60 seconds here. Uh, Kobe's copter went down. Uh, we believe that his family was in it, uh, maybe some of the Laker players, 30 seconds. And, I'm, we're, thinking, and I'm, we're saying, okay, so what do we lead with? Is it, is it still the Cowboys? Is it still LeBron? Uh, guys, 10 seconds. We just got word uh, Kobe died with his family in the helicopter. Five, four, wow. three, two, go. And we're looking, you know, JD and I are looking at each other and, you know, JD is solid as a rock. He gets the information, takes, takes a deep breath and says, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to ESPN Radio with Jonathan Hood. I'm Jeff Dickerson on Dickerson and Hood. We just found out word from ESPN that Kobe Bryant has passed away. And I'm a mess. I'm a mess. I'm just, and so he throws it to me. And I don't know what I said, George, but it, it probably wasn't English. I don't know what I said. This is coast to coast national radio on an afternoon in which we thought we we're going to talk about the Cowboys or some other nonsense. And we come to find out that the icon has just died. And if you remember that time, George, the, the story was very sketchy. Was it his family? Was it Laker players? What was going on? And of yeah. course we found out what it was, but the idea that you have a minute to go and the producer says, no matter what, you got to go because Kobe's died, go. But, the thing I always will always resonate with me is that um, JD was a rock and he was, he was steady uh, given that news. And I don't know what I said, but 
I just have to give my partner so much credit for that because that was a daunting task to get on the microphone and start having memories of Kobe Bryant and he just died within seconds of going on the air. All right, Jim Beheim, the legendary coach of Syracuse uh, with us uh, on Dickerson and Hood. As we remember Kobe Bryant, who was among Jonathan uh, five killed today in a helicopter crash uh, outside of Los Angeles. Yeah, the fierce competitor, we're hearing stories about Kobe. And again, it's something that you and I can both watch. But when you are right there at courtside, when you have a one-on-one relationship with Kobe, it's, um, it's a different perspective. We did that show for four hours Jim Beheim and Jalen Rose and so many other guests came on, but that was quite a memorable show. But I just, I tell that story to just tell you how strong JD was uh, strong to support his wife through her cancer bout and strong to, and defiant to the end. He said in hospice to me, he said, um, he said, these doctors don't know me, George. They said, he says, these doctors don't know me. He goes, if I could just get, to, I just can get to, uh, to Christmas, you know, I think I'll be okay. And he got to Christmas and a few days later, he passed away. There continues to be a paucity of African-Americans as hosts on all sports radio stations here. There's you, there's Lawrence Holmes at the score. There was Jason Goff who's gone on to show his talents as the pre halftime and post game host for the Bulls broadcast. But it's, I, I believe it's you and Holmes and that's it. So why and how does that change? Well, I can't speak for programmers that make their own decisions. I can't, and I never will. Anytime I'm asked that question, they're saying, can there be more African-Americans that are on on sports radio or sports television? A programmer has the right to do what they'd like to do. Doesn't mean that that's right, though. This has been this way for quite some time in the city where it's Lawrence and I, and you mentioned Jason Goff who's doing great things with the Chicago Bulls and has his own very popular podcast, The Ringer. I couldn't be proud of Jason, couldn't be prouder of Jason for what he's been able to do uh, in his career. Um, I think that when I look at the overall landscape of African-American broadcasters, non-athletes, because we got to make sure that we make sure we put the caveat in, we're talking about non-athletes, non-professional athletes, those that not play uh, for the NFL or NBA, yeah. talking about guys like me or guys like Lawrence or Jason, I think that, that definitely the numbers are better now than it was 10 years ago, better than it was 20 years ago. There was a time where I had every African-American sports radio person, man or woman, in my phone. And that's how few it was, <laughs> where I could be able to just call Kansas City, call San Francisco, call Miami, and just know who they were. And now when you take a look at what's happening now in the sports landscape, George, the numbers have gotten so much better. Um, There's still work to do in that regard. Um, But keep in mind, until the programmer uh, of whatever radio station decides that our voices matter, then the numbers will be uh, will stay the same. But I will, I'm telling you that I think in 2023, things are getting better. And I couldn't be happier for that because uh, when I think about diversity, it's not about skin color all the time. It's also about a diversity of thought. Uh, instead of having someone with the same thought from the same background uh, that listens to the same music, that watches the same sports, it's always good to have a diversity of thought. And I, and, and I think in a diversity of style. And I think that that is important because um, it's not just a completely just just women listening or just white people listening. Everyone that loves sports will listen. 
it's always good to have a diversity of, of thought. So I think, as I mentioned, I believe the numbers are getting better in that regard, and I hope it continues to increase. All right, this has been really serious stuff. Where did you get your sense of humor? Because it's very much part of who you are on the air. You're a very funny person. Were you like that growing up? Well, you asked where I get it from. But clearly, George Burns. I mean, it's no, there's <laughs> no question. I got that. From, sure. <laughs> I mean, I don't know about you, but I got that from George Burns and the uh, and the Three Stooges. Um, no, you know what it is, George, is that like I said I was a small screen person, and growing up in the '80s, what did we get? We get comedy from the '50s and '60s. We're still on. The reruns were still on. And I always thought that was fascinating. Just a type of uh, comedy that would have timing. Right? You watch some of those uh, comedy shows and the timing of, of Johnny Carson, the timing of Bob Hope. By the way, this is my 15th year in television. Imagine that, 15 years of me. <laughs> it's the longest stomach test in the history of show business. <laughs> of course, I started very young. You remember me. I was the first dropout on Ding Dong School. <laughs> Guys like that, they would just, you see these things on television, because keep in mind, you had limited uh, television stations back then, so you try to watch what you could, and you just look, watch stuff for entertainment. Um, it's not like today, where you can get a 24-hour cartoon channel. You're watching adult stuff. Maybe I didn't get as a kid, but I loved how the reaction of comedians, what they were getting. And so, this is why you and I could have a long conversation about Milton Berle if we wanted to, because I watched it just like you watched it. We can talk about Bob Hope and Texaco and all those great things. We can talk about these great uh, comedians over the years because you watch them like I watched them. So if, if I have if I have any comedy chops at all or if I'm humorous at all, it's based on stuff I grew up watching. And as I mentioned, I was so into uh, sitcoms back then. Did you like any of the comedies? Let's say what you have the 80s. You were just a kid in the 80s. I'm thinking more of maybe the late 80s and the 90s. I know if you, if you turned on Channel 2 in the 80s, you got a string of comedies. There were a ton of those. Remember? Oh, yeah, oh, yeah absolutely. But, but also on some of the other channels, the stuff that was in black and white also was interesting to me. Like you see this on MeTV now, some of just the old comedies. And yeah. I mentioned George Burns and Gracie um, because it's just, you know, it, it was just gentle comedy. Andy Griffith still comes on almost in prime time still. After all these years, gentle comedy, just routine comedy. And just some of the great um, comedians and great pairings of comedy, like watching the Honeymooners. Can't you realize I'm in serious trouble? The government is investigating me. So they're investigating. What are you getting excited about? Be calm, will you be calm? He's right, Ralph. Don't fly off the handle. That's not getting you any place. Well, maybe you're right. Take first things first. Now, the first thing was, you was getting me some bread. Where is it? Now! Get in the bedroom, Alice. Get in the bedroom, because I'm going to kill him. Ralph? When I finish with you, they'll be picking lily all over Benson. But they only have 39 episodes. 39 that's episodes, still, that's right. Yeah, 39 episodes, and it, it still resonates today. So just from all the stuff that I've watched from, you know, from that era, or watching Richard Pryor, or watching Eddie Murphy and all these guys, no, I'm no comedian, but I, I am. I like to observe things that are funny. But you do impressions, and they are funny. And and my favorites, of course, are uh, uh, George McCaskey and Jerry Reinsdorf. And it's not like you're bashful. They they come on this show a little more often than we think. <laughs> well, 
it, I don't ever think I'm doing a, an impression as much as a caricature of the person. Because Jerry, if, if you've never been around Jerry and, you, and you've been around him, and I have, he can be very funny at times. He can I'll give you a He's an extremely funny guy. Yes. And, but people don't, all they see is the business guy, the guy that says, uh, let me just have a, a press conference right now. Is the microphone on? Let me just tell you. So Horace Grant had the blue flu, and that's why he did not play on, and that's why we're not giving him a contract, and he's going to Orlando, okay? He's going to Orlando. And we, we, we like Horace. I mean, he was a great player for his championship years, but, uh, you know, we let him go. We're not going to pay him. So, so it was just kind of that with, with Jerry, just trying to give him just a little bit of personality. So I can imagine Jerry Reinsdorf in Scottsdale saying, I got a great idea. Let me call Tony. You give him an opportunity. We just, we'll give him an opportunity to manage again. Tony, it's Jerry. How are you? You're not driving, are you? Anyway, <laughs> let me ask you the question. Let me find out for you. Are, are, would you like to manage again? What's that? Yeah, just a man, you know, manage the ball club. Put on, you know, put on the uniform. In a couple of years, still a couple of million will throw your way. We need you to go over the. T- What's that? Put the bottle down, Tony. Put that. All right, go ahead. <laughs> All right, what's that now? No more cocktails. All right, we'll bring you a car. Thank you. Oh, it's going to be great. Hey, Tony's going to manage the team. You know, I'm going to have him. I only want a World Series because, as you well know, George, time is ticking. So it just, it, it just, it's just giving uh, Jerry a little bit of a personality there. Well, where did George McCaskey come into all this? Well, George McCaskey is interesting because what I, my idea was, and I saw this, a few years ago, George McCaskey is such a sweetheart of a guy. It wasn't Mike McCaskey saying woof, 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 say something else really silly. It wasn't that. It was George McCaskey would sit down. If, if there was a, a fan that was had some issues with the ball club, dear George, I hate your team. Uh, you, are, you suck. You are uh, cheap. And what would George McCaskey do? He would actually handwrite a letter. right back to a season ticket holder or a fan that was really mad at the team. And so we made a bit out of it on Cap and Jay Hood, where it was just me saying, wow, we've got a letter here from uh, Jay from Santa Claus, Indiana, who would say, uh, dear George, I don't understand your love about Justin Fields. It makes no sense to me. You should have a real quarterback in there, sign Jay from Santa Claus, Indiana. <laughs> and so the whole bit is, is that people troll George and they don't realize Jay from Santa Claus, Indiana is Jay Cutler. <laughs> and so, so we would do, I would do the same thing for Olin Cruz. Like, you know, here's OK from Honolulu who writes in and says, you're <laughs> George. I have no idea what is going on with your team. Your team sucks. Signed, okay, from Honolulu. And of course, George, being kind, writes the letter back and says, dear, okay, thanks for your interest. And then George says, wait a minute. Okay, from Honolulu? Hold on a second. <gasps> it's Olin Krutz. <laughs> Olin Krutz, I can't believe you're right. This, so that just becomes a thing. It's almost a borrow, almost a borrowed Bob Newhart bit in, in some ways. So I... that's what we're doing. If you want to hear more guests on Tell Me a Story I Don't Know, all you have to do is go to Last Word on Sports on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast. You can listen to the many wonderful interviews we've done dating back to January of 2021.
We return with Jonathan Hood on Tell Me a Story I Don't Know. I was an original at the score, and yes. it was not what I was expecting, especially when I was confronted with people like North and Jiggets and Dan McNeil, Terry Bores, <laughs> definitely Mike Murphy. Those were exciting yet difficult and unknown times. Yet you were just a kid back then yes. when you came in uh, eventually as a producer. What were you thinking? Well, as a kid from the South Side, I just knew that I wanted to work in sports radio. There I was, I was working at Jewel as a as a uh, interior shelf decorator. That's what I was, George, an interior shelf decorator. Um, and that's what I, I didn't know they had any of those. Oh yes, I was a, a box boy. Yes, I was <laughs> I was filling shelves, but it but it looked but it looked good on the resume though. It looked yeah. great. <laughs> it's like interior shelf decorator. Oh, you stock the shelves. Oh, yes, yes, I do. Um, and I was working at Jewel Food Store. I'll never forget opening up the newspaper, opening up Robert Feeder. It says there's a sports radio station that's coming to Chicago. Like all sports? You mean like in New York? Oh, wow, that sounds great. I want to be part of it. So I was able to get an internship there. And it was just, the, first of all, being a kid from the South Side going to Belmont Avenue was uh, odd because I had ne never spent any time in the North Side. I was a South Side kid coming in. And then being able to, to be a part of something that you really want, it's a little bit... Uh, it's a little bit uh, interesting because you're looking around, you're saying, this is the guy here on the radio. It's Tom Share, or here's Jiggets and North and here's McNeil and all these guys. And yes, you want it bad enough, but you, you just kind of bite your tongue and you don't mark out too much. You just try to just try to fit in as much as you can. And I think that I did a good job of being able to say, hey, whatever you need, let me know what I can do for you. And just trying to be a good intern because that's how I started. It, it was it was so strange because on this, on, on at the Belmont Avenue bunker, just to try to tell people if they've never, that's never seen this. On one side of the building is is crazy people like George Offman and Mike North and, <laughs> and Dan Jiggins and all the people on the score side. The other side is WXRT, longtime uh, rock station. And I'm meeting people I've never met before, like Bobby Skafish. He's got these big, you know, big sideburns and attached mm -hmm. to his mustache. And he sees me walk down the hall and he goes, Hey, Daddy-O, what's your saga? <laughs> and I looked at him. I said, sir, I don't know what you mean. <laughs> like, so, so I, I was completely, I didn't know what that meant. I was like, oh, my God, it's Dobie Gillis in the, in the flesh. <laughs> I said, I, said, I uh, uh, what? He goes, hey, what's going on with you? Oh, oh, nothing. I'm having a good time. I, I learned so much because I grew up in that building. I got a chance to know people and met people that I've never met before and learned tendencies of people. I felt like I grew up there in that Belmont Avenue bunker. And, and not only that, but think about those of you who weren't on the air originally and where you've gone from there. Jesse Rogers, Judd Surratt, Matt Spiegel, yourself, Jason Goff, who came in there fairly early, Lawrence Holmes. I'm, I'm sure I'm missing a few people that have succeeded in this business to become big time shows. It's great. Um, I'm, I'm happy for everybody that I grew up with. And it's and ultimately, George, it was me growing up with all that talent that you just mentioned. And for us to be able to have this success that we have right now is just awesome. We worked with a lot of people, but we also worked with one individual who, at least for me, and I have a feeling the same for you, stood out. And that was the late, great Doug Buffon. No question about it. Uh, my favorite ex-athlete to work with on the radio, even to this day. 
I had a chance to work with Doug, obviously, and on a part-time basis. You worked with Doug as well. We were partners on the uh, on the afternoon show uh, at the score uh, for about six months to eight months, and it was great to work with him. And as you and I both know, and as gentle as Doug was, he could really get angry on the air. I mean, you could see the steam rising from his head. Very difficult to score when your offense is on the bench. When your defense is out there giving up 70, 80, 70, 64-yard drives and taking up the time, you don't have the damn ball to do anything with it. And that's Lovey Smith's fault, too. He's calling those damn defenses. Now let me tell you a story about Jay Hood and me. You may not remember. This is October 2003. The Cubs are in Atlanta for the deciding game five of their first round playoff series. The Cubs won, which was their first playoff victory since winning the World Series in 1908. You were live in the WSCR studios. I was live in the Cubs clubhouse and did something. I don't know if anybody else had done it before, but I sent back live interviews through my cell phone. In other words, I just I decided, you know what? I've got my microphone, but if we're going to be live, let me just hold my cell phone up to the players. And I did. And we did this on and off for like 20 minutes. And I would like <laughs> cut in and say, Jay, how are you hearing this? And he goes, yeah, just keep going. All right, fellas, that's uh, Moises Alou, mm-hmm. uh, who, by the way, was very calculated in his maneuver with the champagne. He didn't pop it open. He took the nice route, which was to grab the towel, uh-huh. fully open it, and find his next mark. <laughs> which is you. Uh, no, he was very careful, Barry. He, I think he wanted to get Mike Kiley, but of course, Mike Kiley has no protection. He just has a dome. <laughs> That's Let's exactly right. Let's jump in here with Kenny Lofton. All right, George Offen to Turner Field with us in our Cup celebration here on Sports Radio 670. The score, Jay Hood with you. And it was, it was absolutely great. Anyhow, right. I did it again in the 2005 World Series when the Sox won in Houston. But 2005 was also a big year for you. It really marked a dramatic change in your life. It really was. Uh, but the, the first part of that, though, is is that that's the training of just remember watching election coverage. Right. It's just like it's ongoing. You don't stop. You know, there, there's fresh audio, raw audio is taking place in a celebration in a, in a locker room. Yeah. George, that, 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 that natural audio was fantastic. It's the the imagination of a listener saying, oh, my God, I feel like I'm there because I can hear the natural audio. And that's why. It, it had no problem laying out, not trying to overtalk anything. Just every now and then, this is George Hoffman. He's in the locker room now for the celebration. Listen to it. And then you can hear it, right? I mean, that's that's listening to so many ball games over the years or election coverage over the years. The natural sound is the thing that that should resonate to the listener of, wow, I feel like I'm there. So, yeah, so it was interesting enough. In 2005, I knew that uh, I wasn't going to get my contract renewed. I knew that wasn't going to happen. Um, and so I was making plans to be able to work someplace else. I told my agent, Steve Mandel, I said, listen, this is like uh, in May of 2005. I said, I have a feeling my time at the store is going to end. And I could understand because I had been there since 1992 as an intern, uh, part-time 94 to right through 2005. That's quite a run in our business. 94 to 2005, doing something for the score. And I knew that it was going to come to an end and I knew I need to have a plan. And so um, I told Steve Mandel, my agent, I said, I, I want to see if I can work at ESPN 1000. 
And so he goes, okay, we're going to go back and forth and talk. And, and finally we came to a contract and I, he said, you got to come down to, I believe, uh, George, it was, it was in Rosemont, it wrote, uh, a restaurant in Rosemont we were supposed to go to, to be able to sign the deal. And I said, okay, what time am I going to be there? He goes, six o'clock. I said, all right. So I get in my car at four o'clock uh, from the South side to get to Rosemont and my car would not start. My wife was not around. So it was, it, she was at work and uh, my car would not start. I was like, okay, how am I going to, how am I going to get there from, from Rosemont? Okay. I don't have the money to get a cab to go from Chicago to Rosemont, but I need to be able to get something. So uh, across the street from where we were living, there was a Hertz rental car place. And you could see the guy, the owner or whoever was working there, bringing the, the doors down, bringing, you know, the shutters are about to lock up for the night. And I said, and I, I ran up there and I said, sir, I really need a car. I really need to get a car. I need to go someplace for a business meeting. He goes, oh man, I'm about to lock up. I said, listen, I said, I really need a car. Otherwise I, I probably won't get this job. That's how I felt. I just wanted to be there because it, you, you don't want to cancel a meeting in which you feel like, hey, this station wants you. They want to meet with you. There's an opportunity to sign this deal. And the guy, what a great guy. He opened up the shutters again, turned on his cash register, and I was able to get a rental car in the Zoom down there just in time to be able to meet with um, Tom Saratella, uh, who was the acting program director at the time, Steve Mandel and me, and we were able to sit down, have dinner, talk about what I want to do at ESPN 1000, but it was a close shave. I didn't know if I would make it, but just, it was such a blessing to be able to just find a vehicle because my car was just stopped. It wasn't going to work. And uh, I was able to get there. And um, so for, let me think, August 9th or August 10th of 2005, I was let go from the store. Two weeks later, I'm on ESPN 1000. Pretty good. Pretty good. Yeah. So you're yeah. there for, I believe it was... I don't know, it was not quite four years. Here comes 2009, and the two of us, along with a number of others, join Webio, which was a Mike North and Jeff Schwartz production, unfortunately, unbeknownst to us, run by uh, a guy who was funding it through a Ponzi scheme. There was Chet Kopic, there was Jesse Rogers, Fred Hubner, other producers. Nine weeks, it's all of us. Jay, nine weeks after it started, the funds run out. It's lights out for Webio. That was a culture shock for all of us. We were left without our pants on trying to figure out where we can get another <laughs> pair of pants. So I know maybe someone listening to this podcast is wondering, okay, so why after getting to my dream of working at ESPN was I looking <laughs> for work? Well, the reason why that Webio appealed to me is because I was um, – uh, part-timer at ESPN 1000 and I'm thinking I'm off of red hot score radio and the management at the time did not know how to use me. I, I really I felt that way. I'm like, well, okay. So here's a guy here with a professional wrestling show. Okay. That, that is getting, that gets high ratings at the score. Someone that can be entertaining, someone who's flexible enough to do any shift. Um, and can be a lead host or second chair, whatever it takes, but yet they didn't know how to use me to the point where sometimes I was being used. Sometimes I wasn't. And I just thought I needed more reps. And so I left ESPN 1000 to take on this challenge of being able to be on every day 
from 11 to 3 with a very, very green Tim Doyle. Tim Doyle now is quite a star on the, in the you know gambling space and college basketball space now. Uh, but at the time, he was a very green broadcaster. But I knew he had a gift to gab. So Mike gave me this opportunity because I thought, George, I just needed more reps. I, I could not get on the air at ESPN 1000. It was just very rarely. I'm thinking, I'm really a full-time host here that's working a part-time schedule and, very, and not utilized properly. I just think, I don't think ESPN 1000 knew what to do with me uh, after my days at the score. Not, not initially, which was just very strange. That I think the management there thought, thought of me as a score guy and not an ESPN person. And I don't know why that was, but it was like that for some time. It, I was iced out of the schedule. It just didn't make sense especially when I'm coming off the score and working at ESPN 1000. I didn't understand it, but nonetheless. Um, so Webio was perfect for me because it gave me the opportunity to be able to be on the air every day. And I know it was a new innovation. It was way ahead of its time. I mean, now it's commonplace. You can be able to listen to radio uh, through your Bluetooth and through your car. It's, it's, it's the way of the world now. But at the time, it was so new. We're all neophytes in this. and we And we were able to... Uh, do I thought some really special work until the the plug was pulled and all of a sudden here come all the TV cameras saying hey here's a guy here that's part of a Ponzi scheme is taking people's money and all of a sudden there's no more shows but I will look back at those 55 shows I did fondly with with Doyle because it renewed my confidence one thing about this business you try not to let it ruin your confidence and it and I think ESPN especially in my early in my career it, it, for someone who was red hot, I thought, it, who could do a lot of different things, the first part of the, my career at ESPN was not great because uh, it wrecked me because I was thinking, I know I'm good enough. How come they don't see it? I think that Webio, even though, again, we're, we're trying to find out how we can get paid and how we got ripped off and all that, and it helped my confidence to know I could still do it. And then, of course, after my time at Webio, I was able to get back on ESPN 1000. But I think it, it, it fulfilled me. And it gave me the confidence again to say, hey, you know what? You can do it. So what's next for you? I mean, you're still young with many years left in the business. You are doing a very successful morning show. I just wonder if you have aspirations beyond that because, hey, you are still in your 40s and I'm in my, never mind. Yes. <laughs> yes, you are, George. You're always going to be young at heart. That's what I always Thank say. Thank you very much. George, after... When it's all out of me, when I'm done broadcasting, I want to go into programming. I really do. I, um, and I feel like working with Illinois Media School um, with the campuses in Chicago and Lombard, I don't necessarily feel like I'm a program director, but I feel like I'm an influencer as far as, hey, you know what? I think your stuff's good. When I listen to air checks, I say, hey, your stuff's good. You got to tweak this, tweak that. So I feel like that is me being on the precipice of being a programmer at some point. It's something I've always wanted to do. Uh, and I think once my career is done, that's the direction I want to head and working with good karma brands. I feel like that opportunity could be happening, uh, at some point in my career, at least that's the hope I enjoy what I'm doing now because I'm doing something I never thought I'd do. And that's morning drive radio, um, and trying to entertain and have fun with it every morning. And, um, I think after that, I think definitely I'm going to hang them up and, and go into the programming side. I just, I'm really fascinated on that side of the business. I have been for quite some time. That'll probably be the next step. And I'll never let go of the play-by-play -play if I can. Purnell holds and looks. 
A pass inside to Jackson, inside. Yes, sir, and a foul. Jackson right to the basket. And a chance for a three-point play. Work with the UIC Flames basketball and doing baseball. That's a dream. That's the fun, George. When you can, you don't worry about salary caps. And I worry about uh, rumor and innuendo. It's just the game. It's college basketball. It's college baseball. It's so much fun. I want to be the guy that's going to be holding up my, my walking stick. 25 years with the Flames, 30 years with the Flames. Jonathan Hood, I want to barely just raise the cane and say thank you and be in my 60s and 70s and 80s doing play-by-play because I think that's really fun. It's because you're right uh, in the middle of the action. It's a lot of fun. I ask this final question to all my guests, Jonathan. If not for sports broadcasting, what would you have been? Pimp. <laughs> Wait a minute. I thought you were. No, no, no. Just... <laughs> I want to be like those old black exploitation films from the 70s, George. That's what I want to be. I want to big, big be with Cadillac Pam Greer. Everything? That's, yes, I want to be with Pam Greer. <laughs> I want to be able to have a nice pink hat and a big sedan to put three or four bodies in a trunk. No, um, <laughs> <laughs> no, um, you know, I've always thought that it would be something on the teaching side. I think that would be in the in teaching and working with others in communications. Well, Jay, you are riding high, and it makes me very proud that when I first met you in your early 20s that you really made it. There's clearly more to your story as we move forward. Thank you, Jonathan Hood, for telling me a story I don't know. Thank you, George. My great thanks to ESPN 1000, The Cap and Hood Show, UIC Flames Basketball, MASH the TV Show, CBS2 Chicago, and The Honeymooners for those fabulous highlights. And my thanks as always to the people behind the scenes that helped make this wonderful podcast possible. TJ Reeves for putting us on the map, Will Hatzel for his crafty editing, and Nick Tochi for our wonderful graphics. And to our presenting sponsor, Mr. Duct. You can find them on the web at mrduct.com. Tune in next week when we feature another intriguing guest on Tell Me a Story I Don't Know. I'm George Hoffman, and that's all she wrote. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.